Daniel chapter 1. And I uh, just wanted to wish uh, to comment here on the result of the vote uh, in favor of uh, same-sex marriage by the voting public. Now, the voting public has responded with an overwhelming vote to uh, redefine marriage. And I think, I think we understand with it the potential then, of course, of encroachment upon uh, our freedoms as, uh, as Christians. And uh, I want you to know, make no doubt about it, the agenda of uh, same-sex marriage will eventually lead to our basic right to worship in freedom being stripped away. Right? Already there is an outcry for individuals to be limited in their criticism and rejection of same-sex marriage. Okay? Anyone caught denouncing homosexuality as a sinful act will eventually be found guilty of hate speech and prosecuted. And the freedom of speech will severely be hindered and pretty soon that will spread to even the pulpits of our nation. And what we're seeing is not so much a surprise as the Bible does tell us that the world is only waxing worse and worse, right? But it is still a travesty. And what we're seeing really is a culture so corrupted, it will blatantly reject God's intent and design for the most sacred and most fundamental union one can make on earth, that of marriage. And lest we are drawn away from the Bible's definition of that, God is still clear when He said that they shall be male and female, right? That is still the biblical definition and the only definition of marriage. And, you know, though, as we consider all of that, what is the most bothersome thing about it, this whole situation, is that this, uh, this agenda is being pushed. It's being imposed. And I, th- I don't think anyone here no one likes things to be imposed upon them, right? I don't think any of us here would feel like it's a comfortable thing when things are imposed upon us. Um, whilst we understand there are some things that are, are imposed upon us that do us good, okay, we, we know that when we travel home this afternoon or wherever we're traveling, that there's a, there's a speed limit, and when you get caught, that is imposed, Right? Well, I think we understand by and large that that's for our safety. It's for order. There are certain things that the government makes rulings upon that we readily accept because we understand it's for the better good, right? Those things are imposed. It's part of life. But there there are things now that are being imposed that we know from a biblical standpoint will do harm to the nation and will then, as I mentioned, encroach upon our ability to worship. And so, the, see, the, the immorality, really, and the depravity of this world over the years has been steadily imposed upon us. But I think this time, it's, it's, this, it's very obvious and it's a very upfront attack on the values that have always led to a nation's success, the, the very thing that we, we all hold dear, that's the family unit, and the right to worship as, uh, as we are led. And we're going to live in a time, we live in a time when tolerance is the buzzword, but it's only tolerance when it comes to other things other than standing for the biblical and only true definition of marriage. And we will live in a time when the culture, as imposing as it already is, will be further imposed upon us. 
we understand that, I think. If, uh, if you just peruse through some of the headlines uh, this past week, just, just looking through the Sydney Morning Herald, let alone all the other newspapers, here's some of the, some of the headlines. Okay, we need freedom from religion, not freedom of religion. That's a headline. Uh, here's another one. Men of God hold no mortgage on the national soul. Religious groups should be stripped of civil functions. And all of these articles, if you read through them, all of it is, is the direction is to strip away any, any freedom that we might have to decry or even just be critical and reject uh, the agenda of the day. All of that. And I'm not just talking about as a church. I'm talking about you in your home, in you in your, with your children. It's being imposed. And uh, we better take great care. And, and, you know, articles of this nature have uh, already called on laws to not allow, uh, quote-unquote, discrimination within the realm of a person's conscientious objection of this. As in, you can't say anything that rejects the sinful homosexual lifestyle or, or, or withholds services from them. And, you know, the classic example in the U.S. and, and in, in the U.K. of the baker refusing to bake a cake for same-sex marriage. And, and they're saying that, that within the, that, the realms of the bill that's going to be passed through, that they're proposing, that, that, that's pros- that you can be prosecuted for that. As an individual with a conscientious or a conscience against that, you're still going to be prosecuted if you refuse. That's, that's the agenda here. And if, if we're not awake to that, maybe that's news to you. Uh, you ought to read up about it a bit and be a little bit informed. But what I'm trying to say is that we live in a time that... This, this immoral culture, this corrupt culture is being imposed upon us. So we've got to ask ourselves, how do we live in a time when the corrupt culture of our day is being pushed upon us, is being blatantly imposed upon us? And I think uh, out of the characters in the Bible, we can learn from Daniel, who lived in a culture that was blatantly and in fact unapologetically in opposition to his faith. He was taken captive in Babylon, and yet in the midst of this imposed culture, he was able to stand and be greatly used of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Daniel was a man greatly beloved by God. When there was pressure to conform, we know that Daniel didn't bend. And so we're going to learn some lessons. What lessons can we learn from Daniel that allowed him to live a faithful life in the midst of a culture that was trying to impose upon and impinge upon his beliefs? And so Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried away into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And so now the scene is set. They're, They're taken captive. And so here Daniel is found. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz the the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability to, in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And so 
The king decrees that they would search out the land for the best and brightest of the Hebrew children. And then I noticed there that they were going to teach them the, the, the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so make no doubt about it, what was the intent of the palace was to, was to impose upon them and then change these young people to be culturally relevant to them. All right, and so that was what was happening. Now among these, in verse 6, were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So we know we're familiar, I think, with those characters. And, and then notice verse 8, though, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And uh, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to, to bless as we get into his word. Father, I pray that you'd help us in uh, this morning, Lord, just to be um, encouraged, Lord, to be uh, instructed in the things that, uh, that, that uh, Lord, happened in Daniel's life that we can apply in our own time. And Lord, certainly, Father, we, we trust you. We know that you're still on the throne. We know, dear God, that you're still in control. But there will be times, Lord God, I believe in the, in the near future where we're going to be challenged about how we ought to live and how we ought to live in a time where, where our basic uh, rights as Christians and our basic beliefs will be imposed upon. So I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray for your enabling. pray to God for your spirit to work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd be sober-minded about our day. I pray to God that you'd help us to understand that we do have this time to minister. We do have this time to be able to make a difference for you and that, Lord, uh, that we need to continue on. So I pray that you'd help us this morning. Uh, I pray for your power in, in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And notice there in, in um, uh, the situation again, Daniel was in a, uh, in a place where the, the things of faith that he knew, the things that God had, uh, had taught through the commands and through the law, he was not able to, uh, to practice in the sense that he was in, at liberty to. There was something being imposed and again, in verse 4, they were going to teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans and then feed them those things which were culturally relevant. And so they were changing them. They were trying to impose upon them a certain way and a certain belief. And really, that's what we're seeing today. And, and you know, you understand that when we, you stand up for things this day, that you're going to be called a, a bunch of things. You're going to be labeled and you're going to be uh, there's going to be some things that you're going to be called. And, and uh, that's what was happening in Daniel's uh, life there. And yet we read in verse 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Despite the, the fact that there was great, um, uh, this great pressure and the, there was this great, uh, great pressure to conform to the culture of the day, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was not just going to simply, um, simply go with the flow. He was going to make sure that he was going to stand for what was right, that he was going to be different. And so how did Daniel do that? And I believe firstly here that uh, as we learn that he was prepared with solid convictions. Okay, so firstly, he was able to withstand what was being imposed upon him because firstly, he was prepared with solid conviction. Notice there that but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That was in the affirmative. He, was, he wasn't a question whether he would or not. 
No, he was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was affirmative in his action there that he would not. He would not do this. He knew what he was about. And, and also the word purpose here means that, that it, he came in, into this situation with, with something that was preformed. It, it, he, had already, he had already determined it. He had already, um, he had already uh, before he had come to this situation, he already knew what he was about. He already knew what he believed. Uh, it also mean that he, it means this, that he was resolved prior to this situation. He didn't wait till he got into the situation to resolve what he was about. No, he was resolved in it. He was determined. And so Daniel came prepared with solid convictions. And, uh, you know, someone said this, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so at times, in this time especially, I believe that as Christians, we need to be solid about our convictions, what we believe, uh, what, what, what the Bible stands for, what, what we know God stands for. And it's, it's important that in this time we, we are instructing and we are making solid the, the foundations of the doctrines of the Word of God, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our young people, in the lives of those who are to follow. We are to be active in that. See, the Bible tells us in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, you know, we, we can't take it for granted, uh, each and every one of us, that we just presume what God has to say about certain things. And, and uh, certainly it comes to mind this morning, as we've already mentioned, that we are headed as a nation now, and really as a world, this uh, imposition of, uh, of same-sex marriage, of homosexuality, uh, of really sodomy, it's... it's and we ought to know, and we ought to be able to then uh, argue and articulate why we believe that. And, you know, in a day really of moral relativity, what I'm asking is, have you resolved what you stand for? Have you resolved what you stand for? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? And, and notice what we see about Daniel's convictions that I think aided him when the culture was being imposed upon him. And firstly, it was internal. So Daniel's convictions, it was internal. Notice there, Daniel purposed in his heart. We know that here Daniel purposed it in his heart. What I'm saying is it was not just an outward show. It, it, it emanated from a reality within. And I think nothing more tests the reality of our convictions until those convictions are not popular and shaken. And we better resolve it in, internally it better be something that is real within us. It better be something that, that is in our heart that it is us. That is what you stand for. And for Daniel, it wasn't just an outward show. It wasn't just something that he did every Sunday. It wasn't just something that, that he, he conveniently labeled himself with. No, it was real. He purposed it in his heart. It was internal. And, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And, you know, uh, all of us here, we can, uh, we can dress the part. We can, we can sort of look the part on this day. Uh, we can, from an outward appearance, uh, seem to fit the bill. But God's not looking for that that level of commitment, he's looking for a deeper commitment. He's saying it needs to be internal. It needs to be purposed in your heart. 
Is it? Are the things that, that we know from the Word of God, is it real inside you? Is it the, the manner of life that you live, the, the things that, that you say are your convictions, does it emanate from a reality within of God and a belief in God and a valuing of His Word? Or is it something that just because we are in a time where really we're not in a time of, of any danger, by the way, the Bible tells us that the last days, perilous times will come. We, while, whilst we have the convenience of peace, do we just have an outward show and it's not really inside us? You see, his convictions were firstly, it was internal. In 2 Corinthians 5.12, the Apostle Paul says this, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that, th- that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. And what it was saying is that as you've observed us, don't just, don't just consider the, the outward actions that we have. No, this is from the heart. This is, this, this is from a real passion, a real conviction in our heart, the way we live. And, and really the context of that was living the gospel. And he was saying that this comes from the heart, the things that we've done unto you, the things that we've done for you, the things that we've actioned in our lives, it's internal firstly. And often I think we're satisfied with our appearance of conviction when it's not real in our heart. And we better take great care that we have solid convictions. In Psalm 119 verse 11, the Bible tells us, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so the question is this, do we have the word of God inside us that informs our convictions? You know, it's easy to, to say that this is our conviction, but is it grounded upon the things that we've hidden in our heart? The word of God. Can we stand on something more sure than, than just your, your opinion, than just what you've been told, than just what mom and dad, how he, they used to do it, how they, you saw someone else do it? Do you, do, you have a, you have, do you have the Word of God hidden in your heart that informs you of your conviction? In Proverbs 19.21, the Bible tells us there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And so it, it ought to be that with the many influences that can come our way is the thing that's most influential in our lives. The, the thing that most influences our convictions is it the Word of God. And by the way, it's the eternal Word of God. A Word of God that's settled forever in heaven. And, and we, better, we better just examine that it's firstly our solid convictions, are, they're firstly internal. Have we, is it within our heart? Is the way we live, is it emanating from a, from a reality within? But secondly, notice this, it was articulated. You see, see it wasn't just that, that Daniel stood there and he said, no, these are just my beliefs and kept it to himself. No, he articulated it, he spoke up. Daniel expressed what he believed. He, he didn't just keep it inside, he declared it. And I, I think about other examples of this. I think about Nehemiah when he, was, he, was, he, he understood the need in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall that he spoke up when he got given the opportunity. I think about the, the, the Hebrew maid who was a servant of Naaman when, when she understood the struggle that he was going through. She spoke up and said, no, there's a prophet. And I think in our day, it'd be very tempting for us to just remain silent. And we can know what we're all about. But in the time when it counts, we better not be silent. You know, if you're, if you're at all on, on social media, you know that you're going to be open for attack anyway. But you understand that, that there are those that 
that may have a genuine uh, question. Uh, just this week, as, as it unfolded on Wednesday, we were all sitting there in, um, in, in Pastor EJ's office, in that admin office, and we are just uh, waiting sort of on the result. We were chatting about other things, but it sort of popped up. And then an hour later, I posted something on my, uh, on my Facebook wall, and a friend from high school who was more an acquaintance really commented on, on something, and he had a view of this whole thing. He was against it, um, not an unsaved fella. He was against it, from, but from an economic point of view, and I was commenting from a spiritual point of view. And so there was a bit of a, it wasn't a debate, he just had a question. And you know, the amazing thing is this, it just opened up a little bit about, well, what, what, what's wrong with it from a spiritual point of view? And, and what I'm saying is, is your belief, if you know it, 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 it should be something that you, you're able to articulate about. You're able to speak about it. You're able to declare it. You see, we often think about this verse in Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. And then we, we often have memorized this last bit of the verse. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And often we think about that in a negative uh, connotation there of the evil man speaking. But it says firstly the good man out of the good treasure of his heart. And listen, if, if you know that the, the thing that you believe about this situation, about other situations, is good, then it ought to come out of your mouth. You ought to be able to declare it. You ought to be able to articulate on it. And, and I'm not just reserving this, uh, this portion of the message for the adults. You young people ought to, ought to be clued in. And if you don't know, you ought to ask. And you ought to have someone teach you. But you ought to be clued in because... Because we ought, to be, uh, we ought to be in a position where we're able to defend the faith. You see, often, the, the, often the, the arguments of this time for uh, same-sex marriage, it, it's because of the loudness of that side of the argument that has often silenced the truth. But should truth be silent? You see, there's a saying... Um, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And may I add, for good men to say nothing. And we, we ought to. We ought to uh, take the time. And I'm not saying that we're argumentative. You know, I was speaking to someone earlier, you know, as we have conviction, that ought to be paired with compassion. You understand that, that, that as, as people fall into uh, the flow of this and they just go with the flow of it, that some of them are just ignorant. But all of them are in need of a Savior. And we ought to have compassion in that regard. We ought not to look at that and be hateful. We ought not to look at that and have no grace with our lips. We ought to have, we ought to have a speech that's seasoned with salt, the Bible tells us. And we ought to have that. We ought to have a conviction and compassion, but we ought to have that ability to articulate that, to, to declare it. It doesn't mean that we're argumentative, but in grace we can speak the truth and love. And by the way, can I just remind you that the goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win some souls. See, winning an argument is not the same as winning souls. And we can argue till we're blue in the face. But unless we give them the life-changing message of the gospel, then they're not going to change. 
And let me just remind you again that, 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 that the articulation of this is not just the articulation of the arguments, but to articulate the gospel. Uh, this, this coming week, we're, we're going to head over to the outback and, and we're praying for great opportunities to share the gospel. And in the, our preparation, we've realized that some of our team members within this church and within Faith Baptist Church, they don't really know how to share the gospel. And guess what? We're going to cover that today so that they know how to articulate what's real inside them. And we want to be able to do that. And we ought all to do that. It's not just my job. It's not just the job of those who turn up on Saturday. It's our job. We're all called to do it. And more than ever, church, we need to have a solid conviction about that. And so it was articulated. And, you know, we, we, we ought to have, a, we have the ability to articulate in a clear and passionate manner what we believe. And if the question is asked about what we believe, about what's happening in our day, and what it's all about, are we able to articulate that? Would we know where to turn? Would we know how to answer those things? But then, then um, thirdly, about his convictions, it was actionable. See, his convictions had a, had a practical output. It was visible. It was, it was seen in his life. And I'm just saying that our convictions not, must not just be believed, but be displayed through our lives. You know, we're the people that stands for the book, right? We're the people that stands for the only definition of marriage. But there are those here today who are married, who, are, who, who, who say they believe in the, in, the, uh, in the true definition of marriage, but they're not having a good marriage. <laughs> they argue and they're spiteful. And, and the world looks at that and they go, yeah, the right definition of marriage but the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit doesn't match. And if we're, we're the ones propagating that, that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and if you're married and, and, and all you do is mistreat each other, then you're being a, wrong, a bad example. And, and, and worse, you're putting forth an argument against it. And we better take great care that, that whilst we can declare perhaps, and whilst it's real, in our belief, in our conviction, that our actions do follow too. You know, we ought to be Christians that, that are, that as we, we declare that we believe in, a, in the one true God, that we believe in the gospel, that we ought to live in such a way that we, we are declarative of the gospel, but also living out the gospel. That we do live it with a changed life. That we do live it with a holy life that's different to the world that we live in. You see, Daniel was... was Willing to be different. He was willing to, for his convictions to be actionable, to be visible. And I wonder if your convictions are visible. You know, it ought to be evidence that, that in your Christian life, it, there's a big change. You know, people all around us, they go through misery. And I understand sometimes we go through trouble. But how about this? How about we show some joy because we do have a God that's living. We do have a Savior that's real. And we do have a gospel of hope. How about we have some joy when we come to church? How about when we sing the songs of Zion that we sing out loud to the, uh, because we have a God that's worthy to be praised? How about when we, de we declare that we have the Word of God, that through the week we actually open the Word of God and we actually walk with God? How can we? How can we say that we've got the truth and look miserable living it? <laughs> how, how can we say 
that, that, that God's design is the best design when our actions and our face doesn't show it. You see, it was, it was actionable. And I wonder, firstly, as we think about this culture that's being imposed upon us, I wonder if we would have solid, we prepared with some solid convictions. I wonder if we can articulate it. I wonder if we can action. But the secondly, he was willing to be countercultural. As I mentioned in verses, verse 4, that they, they were trying to teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. This was about training them in the culture of the time. In verse 5, they were going to give them of the wine and the meat which the king ate and which the king drank. They were going to nourish them that way. And this was a process, again, of changing them into a certain image, a certain way of living. And let me remind you in Romans 12, 1-2, that, that God calls us to be countercultural. We're not meant to fit in. All right, we're, we're meant to be a peculiar people, but it says in Romans 12, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then notice verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not meant to be conformed to this world. And, and so Daniel was willing here to be countercultural, uh, to swim upstream, to go against the grain, to stand out in the crowd. And, and you know, the world wants you to conform to the culture it is imposing, one that's falsely labeled as tolerant and loving. And what God calls sin, they want you to call a lifestyle choice. You see, the, the world always wants you to use its terminology, its language. The world wants you to have the same tastes as they do. But God calls us out of that to be separate, to be holy, to be peculiar. We're meant to be countercultural. And even in Leviticus chapter 18, notice there with me, turn there, that's a the only other passage we'll turn to, Leviticus 18, in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. Remember, that was past. Remember that, that God took them out of that. He saved them from that. And by the way, that's what God did with you. He saved you out of the world. And so He's saying, don't, don't do the things that, that Egypt does. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, that was their future where they were going to head. The land of Canaan, whither, whither I bring you, shall you not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And what he's saying is, as you travel in this journey, where I'm even leading into the promised land, there are those who are not like you, who you ought not to be like. They're going to be different and they're going to be, have a different culture. They're going to have a different way of living and you better not live like them. And he's warning them ahead of time. And we understand that if you read through the history of Israel, they're often looking at their neighbors. They're often trying to be like everyone else. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something in us that just wants to fit in, right? But see, God's telling us to be countercultural. Don't be conformed to this world. It was always God's intent that His people live counterculturally. And you know, in order to do this, sometimes we're going to have to be willing to be awkward. And you know, there's, 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 sometimes we, 
We don't like to at least just be awkward. You know, when we have to speak about the gospel, sometimes it's awkward. When we're different, sometimes it's awkward. No one likes to have that awkward moment. Okay, no one likes that feeling. But in order to be countercultural, you're going to have to, at times, be willing to feel awkward. You know, I've done a little research, and I can confirm to you that there's not one documented case of someone dying or even being severely injured by awkwardness. Okay, no one. And I think this generation here that we have, more and more, they don't want to have that awkward moment. You know that, that hashtag? That awkward moment. <laughs> and then blah, blah, blah. But I want to say that, that, that there ought to be joy even in the small suffering we face. Even in awkwardness because we're entering into something with Christ, into His reproach. You know, if you feel awkward about sharing the gospel, welcome to the club. But it's okay. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you. Um, it's okay to be different. You know, I, I remember w- working in, um, as I was going to university, even leading up to it, different places, and, you know, um, happy hour and all of that. And sometimes you just, you're awkward because you say, no, I don't drink. No, I don't do that. No, I won't take part in that. And you're the only one. That's awkward, isn't it? But even that, that small suffering, we ought to take joy in that. And we ought to look at that and go, look, I'm just trying to be uh, not conformed to this world. I'm trying to be countercultural. But, you know, Daniel, he was also willing to be labeled. And, and, you know, the result of being awkward at times is this. You get labeled. You get labeled. And, and I'm sure Daniel dealt with that. And we know later on he was disliked by some. Uh, the, the popular one today that, that often we get labeled with, if you don't agree with, the agenda is bigot. <laughs> However, when we're, we become countercultural, you know, we're going to have many other labels that they're going to stick on us. But it's okay in 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And really, the result of being labeled then is you're being targeted at times. We know later on that Daniel was faithful in all things. He, he, he prayed even though there was a decree against prayer. And we know that, that the only reason they did that was they were targeting Daniel. And the only way they could get him was, was in the way that he was living faithfully. And uh, Daniel was targeted. That's the progression. And, you know, being countercultural means you'll be an easy target. You know, when you stand from the crowd, you're, you stand from the crowd, you're an easy target. And yet the Bible tells us, uh, the, the Bible tells us that, you know, if, if we live for Christ, we will be targeted firstly by enemy forces. I think about the story in Acts 19.15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And, you know, if you're living right, then the spiritual forces that are in opposition, they'll target you. You know, if, if, if you never encounter real spiritual warfare, and probably it's because you're not doing much for God. <laughs> but you'll be targeted. In Matthew 5.11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And you know what? You'll be targeted by other people. Other people will target you. 
they'll say things, all manner of things. But he says this, blessed are you. In 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But get this, if we're going to be countercultural, we'll be targeted, but then we'll be targeted, we'll be marked also by heaven. And I'm not saying that in a negative sense, I'm saying that in a positive sense. He's saying that if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. There's a blessing. There's a joy of that. And, and, and we ought to uh, have, that, uh, have, have, a, have a real desire uh, to be marked by heaven as someone who's living faithfully. And James 4.4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And really, would you rather be a target of God's friendship or counted as an enemy? Would you rather be someone that God knows is standing for Him and He sees and He marks you as, as someone who's faithful and be targeted by those in opposition? You know, if you're going to be countercultural, you're going to need to be willing to be awkward at times. It'll, it'll lead to you being labeled at times and targeted for His cause. But guess what? That's a, it's, a, it's something that God, God marks. So it's something that is a blessing. And so we, we, if we're going to live in a culture that's imposed, we better be willing to live counterculture. And then lastly, he was unafraid. Okay, he was unafraid to prove God's way. You know, he said later on in, in Daniel chapter 1, as he spoke to the, uh, the, the prince of the eunuchs there, he said, you know, prove thy servants. And what he was saying was this, look, I know what God says. I know what I stand for. Um, I know that I'm, I'm going against the grain here, but let me prove something to you. Let me prove God's way. And many times, I think we go ahead and embrace the culture because we're fearful that God may have gotten it wrong. <laughs> I think that, that really boils down to that. See, Daniel, with all the pressure to conform, with the palace bearing down on his convictions, you know what he did? He placed his confidence in God and what he said. And, you know, sometimes we think this, that having the majority makes it right, but having the majority doesn't make it right. And, you know, there was an overwhelming majority. It doesn't mean that, the, that marriage has been redefined. It'll always, always be how God defined it. And so having the majority doesn't make it right. In, in Matthew seven thirteen, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. May there be which go in thereat, and, and understand that the majority of the world is heading one direction to a place called hell. And just because the majority is going that way doesn't mean you have to go that way. And let me just say this this morning. If you, you are following the majority, maybe you're thinking that, that good works will get you to heaven. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I think my good outweighs the bad. Let me just tell you, the majority thinks that. The majority thinks that just being religious, just being good will somehow, uh, somehow... Uh, alleviate the judgment of God upon them. And yet the Bible tells us that, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we better this morning just not think that the majority is right that way. That you need to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. See, even in the, in, in the past, we see the majority of those who spied out the land, they feared, and only two had faith. The majority wasn't right there. You see, David stood on his own and the whole army watched. 
the majority wasn't right there. And just because the majority of the vote came to favor doesn't make it right. Just because others will embrace it and will, 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 will downplay it doesn't make it right. It's still defined by God. And, and, and we better understand, just because the majority goes for it, it doesn't mean that it's, it makes it right. Being loud doesn't make you right. You know, even in, even in preaching, just because, you're, just, because, just because we're passionate about something doesn't make it right. It only, it's only right if it's according to the Word of God. Right? We know that God, He has a still small voice. And you know, the world's very loud, isn't it? About their message, their agenda. But it doesn't make it right. Just because they shout the loudest doesn't mean they're right. And, and you know, the crowd, remember, at Jesus' crucifixion was yelling out, crucify Him. But it didn't make it right. And, you know, we must listen. We must listen and learn to drown out the crowd, but listen to the pages of Scripture to be our compass, to guide our compass. He he was unafraid to prove God's way. And, you know, God's wisdom is higher than man's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In Job 28.20, Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Then later on he says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. One day, see, no matter what the culture imposes upon us, God's wisdom will shine through. What He promised, He will do. And, and, and church, listen, we could, we, could, we could look at this time and we could be discouraged and just sort of lay back and, and just ignore it and hope it goes away. Or understand the time that we live in. Understand that there's a very real agenda to impose a corrupt culture. And, and we better have real convictions. We better just be willing to be countercultural, and We better just trust God and prove His way. All right? We indeed, we're in a post-Eden, post-fall, and really post-Christianity world. This week was another imposition upon us to conform to the world's culture. Will we see, will we as God's people in this time then live faithfully as Daniel did regardless. You know what? It's going to start with some real convictions stemming from God's eternal word. It will, it will mean a willingness to be countercultural. It will take each one being unafraid to prove that God in His way and His word is right. And I'm asking today, will we today at least commit ourselves to God to be a beacon of light and hope, to stand above the tides of moral upheaval and say, I'll be willing to be counted amongst the faithful no matter what's being imposed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and thank you, Lord, for Lord, just an example that you've preserved for us in Daniel's life. And Lord, we can see many things that we can mirror, Lord, in our time. And so I pray that you'd help us today. And Lord, we, whether we, we realize it or not, 
we are in the minority. And Father, sometimes, just like those men who stood on the cliffs and were intimidated by Goliath, we can be intimidated by the loud voices and the, the majority that declares that we're somehow outdated and, and irrelevant. And yet, Lord, today more than ever, we need, we need to be just like David in that time and Daniel like we've learned and be willing to counter the culture. I pray to God that you'd help us, Lord, to live in this time with wisdom, with grace, and Lord, all, above all of that, with a very real sense of our purpose and have a passion about it. And I pray to God that you'd help us, Lord, and, um, Lord, in all this. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, we'll just have a time of invitation this morning. And I want to challenge you today, and the piano can begin to play, but firstly, I want to speak to those perhaps who are lost. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. The Bible tells us we've all broken His law. But see, the, the bad news is this. The, the wages, the payment, the outcome of our sin is death. But the good news is this. We have a Savior who came and He lived the perfect life. He became a perfect sacrifice on the cross and He willingly shed His blood and laid down His life to take your place. And the Bible tells us that if we would accept Him as our Savior, then we can be saved, we can be forgiven. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe if I were to ask you this question, if you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home? Is there anyone at all that you're not sure? I'm not sure. If I was to be honest with you, Pastor, I'm not sure. Just with an uplifted hand, I won't, I won't call you out. I'll just pray for you this morning. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anyone at all this morning? Anyone at all? Just with an uplifted hand. Maybe you're a member. Maybe you're a guest. Whoever you are, if, if the Lord's spoken to you about your need of Him, then I'll just lift your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Anyone this morning? Then Christian, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this morning. Would you once again just resolve perhaps some things in your heart about your convictions? Would you resolve? Would you commit to be willing to be countercultural in a time where the culture is pressing and is being imposed upon you? And then would you be willing to prove God's way? Would you live more faithfully? Would you live more passionately for the things of God? And maybe this morning you've just, the Lord's spoken to your heart about something, maybe just a, a certain area. And just with an uplifted hand, I just want to pray for you. The Lord spoke to me. I want to live in a way that would be pleasing to you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Let's all stand to our feet. No one looking around. I want to challenge you. Church, why don't we take some time to pray? Maybe you lifted your hand. I want to encourage you to come to this altar this morning and just commit some things to the Lord as a piano place.